Father, we thank you for your grace extended freely towards us. We thank you for Jesus Christ, your Son, given freely and lovingly for us. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, your loving closeness, your personal presence with us. We pray, God, that today your Spirit would be with us and help us, help us to understand your scriptures more, help us to love them more and obey them more. This we ask in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. These words that come from Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17 have been significant for Christians since the day that they were first spoken. They contain not only the means by which we are saved, but also the way in which we are now to live. As we go through Romans chapter 4 today, we're going to take a look at the lives of two men. Abraham, the supreme example of biblical faith, and also one man for whom these words formed a particularly pivotal turning point, the 16th century reformer, Martin Luther. We've heard already a lot this year that, that 2017 marks 500 years since that symbolic day that we take as the beginning of the Reformation, the day that Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door of the church in Wittenberg and the subsequent birth of the Protestant church, which we're all a part of today. And so it, as, as Romans puts forward this clear and comprehensive argument of the fact that justification is by faith, as we're in this anniversary of the Reformation, we're going to stop and take some time to highlight that in this chapter we actually see what have come to be known as the five solas, the five alone statements of the Reformation that, that Martin Luther and the Reformation called to us with their lives for us to return to. And so as we see what the Bible asks about Abraham and tells us about faith, we're going to stop along the way and take a look at those because they really form the entire foundation of Christianity. For a brief recap, last week Dale told us from Romans chapter 3 that justification, being put right with God, made available to us as a gift, Romans 3.24, and that it is to be received by faith. In verse 25, it's not earned by any amount of good works that we perform. And so before we move to the next chapter, I want to stay in the last few verses of chapter 3 for a minute and just take a look at what is actually the glorious truth that is the main takeaway for which Abraham is our example today. And so, let's take a look. 
Romans 3.27, it says, Then what becomes of our boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. When Martin Luther took the German Bible and translated it, sorry, the Greek Bible, and he translated it into German in 1522 for his countrymen, this was the verse, the famous verse where he interpreted by faith as the now famous faith alone. Luther realized that it wasn't by works nor by any other thing, just believe. You see, in Luther's day, the Catholic Church and the Pope and politics and power, they were all intermingled and the Pope had enormous influence. And one of the projects that the Pope set in motion was the rebuilding of St. Peter's Basilica. It's currently the largest church building in the world. You might have heard of it. Here's a little picture of what the complex actually looks like. But how do you fund something like that? From the people. And so the Pope, he thought to tie the funding of this building to a common church practice or indulgences made known to the people by way of a papal bull. Now, I don't very often read papal bulls because often that's exactly what they are, but we've talked about indulgences in the past, and so I'm just going to briefly touch on them again. The point of this bull was that you could pay to have your sins forgiven. Not only that, but you could pay for your deceased family who might be in a place that the church invented called purgatory where they haven't quite made it to heaven yet. And so you could pay and help to get them to heaven faster and help the church build a nice building at the same time. Sounds great, right? Who wouldn't want that? Forgiveness. Paid for. The idea of paying for salvation as an instalment plan of works and money was common in Luther's day. But Luther pushed back on this idea, and so as a pastor and a Bible teacher due to preach that weekend in Wittenberg, he went and nailed 95 points of disagreement to the church door. It's a question. Did, for, did anyone actually read Luther's 95 theses for the anniversary of the Reformation? Just No? How do you guys have fun? <laughs> okay, okay. Well, let, me, let me read you a few of them. Thesis 1. When Jesus said repent, he meant that believers should live a whole life repenting. Thesis 2. Only God can give salvation, not a priest. Thesis 3. Inward penitence must be accompanied by a suitable change in lifestyle. Thesis 22. A dead soul cannot be saved by an indulgence. Thesis 27. It is nonsense to teach that a dead soul in purgatory can be saved by money. Thesis 27, oh, 54, sorry, it is blasphemy that the word of God is preached less than the word of indulgences. Thesis 62, the main treasure of the church should be the gospel and the grace of God. Thesis 86, get this, the Pope should rebuild St. Peter's with his own money. 
Thesis 94. Christians must follow Christ at all cost. And thesis 95. Let Christians experience problems if they must and overcome them rather than live a false life based on present Catholic teaching. Luther had read Romans. He saw in the writings of Paul that a progressive salvation by works and money was just not so. So through nailing his 95 theses to the church door at Wittenberg, Luther sparked a revolution which consumed Europe. It said, yes, salvation is by faith. We don't need an intermediary priest. Just believe God and his promises. Luther wrote that salvation by faith alone was the foundation upon which the church stands or falls. It's why he was so immovable on that point in the 16th century. The Reformation also called Christians in the church to return to something which has come to be known as the five solas. These are not new. These are things that have come straight from the Bible. Luther and the Reformers called for us to go back to them. Mid-1900s, they were named the five solas. Let's take a look at them today. Here they are. Salvation comes by grace alone. Sola fide, that we are saved through faith alone. Sola Christus, that salvation is found in Christ alone. And sola scriptura, that the Bible alone is our highest authority. And all of this, soli Dio gloria, for the glory of God alone. These five solas sum up everything about the Christian faith and they serve as the foundational pillars for our church today. That we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So now, having spent some time in Romans 3 telling us that we can be made right with God simply by believing God and not by doing any thing, Paul now goes on in chapter 4 to give us a flesh and blood example in the person of Abraham. And so here we go. Begin sermon. Start at verse 1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, then he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Let's just pause there for a moment. What then shall we say? Paul's way of saying, let's take a look. Let's see Abraham. And it's very important that Paul chose to use Abraham. Why? Well, first, Abraham is from Genesis. Abraham is before Jesus. He's before the people of he's before there even was a people of God. But perhaps most importantly, Abraham was four hundred years before God had even given the law to his people through Moses. So if Paul can establish that a person can be made righteous in the book of Genesis, then he's given us a timeless truth. You see, if Abraham could be made righteous through his good works, that is 
through keeping God's righteous requirements. We do that if there hadn't even been a law yet. Do you see? And so, second, Paul, he chooses Abraham because he is the supreme example of one who believes. Let's take a look at his life. I think it's significant enough to see the amount of coverage that Scripture gives to him. We talk about cataclysmic, world-destroying events in Genesis, like the flood. Three chapters. The life of Abraham, 12 chapters. It sounds like this man has some significance. So let's have a look. First, God calls Abe to leave his home. Go and leave his friends and his family and his business and his social network. Leave everything behind and God calls him to go. So we read in Genesis. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make... I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God tells him to go. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. That's all it says. No argument, no hesitation, he went. Amazing faith. But for a fuller picture of Abraham's faith, we're going to take a look at the original Old Testament passage that Paul is actually quoting in, in Romans 4, in Genesis 15. It reads, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childness, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look towards heaven, and number the stars if you are able to number them. And he said, So shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And so time passed and God's promise of this miracle child came true. And in Genesis 21, Abraham named him Isaac. And then in the very first verse of the next chapter, you know what God says? After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham... And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. Wait, a what? Offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I shall tell you. But Abram rose. Early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went. Getting to see the picture of faith that is painted by the life of this man. 
In these three examples that Paul points us to, he never wavered. In fact, do you know what was going through Abraham's mind when he had his son on the altar and he was about to drop the knife? Come with me over to Hebrews chapter 11, the great faith chapter that wouldn't be complete without the story of Abraham. Hebrews 11, verse 8. It says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Now drop to verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Now bear with me because this story is also summed up in today's passage in Romans 4, down in verse 18. And it says, In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. And that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Friends, are you fully convinced that God is able to do what he promises? That's what faith is. And so... Abraham left his home on his way to an unknown destination. He believed that he would have a child that he couldn't have. And he was willing to kill the miracle child through whom God's promise would be fulfilled, believing that God could raise him up again. Side note, Abraham had never seen a resurrection. What incredible faith. So why did Abraham do all these things? Because he believed God. He knew that God was good. So great was his faith that he did it all knowing that faith, catch this, requires full obedience and not full understanding. All right. We're up to verse 4. So in verse 4, Paul takes a moment to take a look at what it might look like if we had earned salvation by works. To the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. You see, there's no need for grace when you're working. You simply receive what you've rightly earned. And so working gives you the right to boast. When you get paid, you can say... I deserve this. And so, the only way to eliminate the boast is to eliminate the work. And friends, that is exactly what Jesus Christ did on the cross, finishing the work for us. 
said of this verse that this is one of the greatest, if not the greatest, passage in the entire Bible to communicate the idea that we are saved sola fide, through faith alone. So we're going to break it down. To the one who does not work. So here's a quick note about works. Good works have an essential place in the Christian life. We're commanded to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to shelter the homeless. But good works have no place in your life before Christ to earn your salvation. Light as many candles as you want. Go to as many church services as you want. Buy as many Bibles as you want. But as hard as it's been for so many people to believe over the centuries, the forgiveness of sins to us comes to us sola gratia, by, by grace alone. Gift. Verse tells us justifies the ungodly. Paul tells us here, but he also makes it even more plain over in Romans chapter 10. And here's the good news of the gospel, friends. He says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. See, Abraham believed and he was justified. And who should you believe in? Him who justifies the ungodly. Christ died for the ungodly, Romans 5, 6 tells us. Salvation is solus Christus, by Christ alone. And in that great courtroom, God the judge looks at Christ and his completed work. And in his extraordinary grace, he takes all the sin that will ever be yours and he puts it on Christ. And he looks at Christ and he takes his righteousness and he imputes it, he credits it to our account. What you could never earn, something that you did not have, something you could never boast of, the verdict becomes reality for us purely by believing that God has done it. His faith. And just in case anyone is thinking, well... I had faith. I, I believed. And so that's my contribution. That's the part that I played in my salvation. Well, yes. If faith was a work of man's own doing, then yes, man would be in a position to take partial credit for his salvation. But Paul knew there would be people who would try to make this argument. And so he made it clear that even the very faith that we possess to believe is itself a gift. Faith comes to the believer as a gift from God. It's not something that we're capable of mustering up on our own. There was an event where the entire price was paid all at once. What does the scripture say? Salvation is found in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, for the glory of God alone. So what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded 
Such an act is inconceivable in the presence of a gracious God who did everything for us. So next in our passage, Romans uh, verses 6 to 8 of Romans 4 talk about David and the fact that he is agreeing that justification is by faith. We're going to skip over David by now and stick with Abraham. And so we pick up at verse 9. And so there are still those who would know the story of Abraham and they would say, wait, didn't God make a covenant with Abraham through circumcision? And so Abe kept his part of the deal by, by keeping up the practice, right? Because that would mean that he earned his righteousness and that he maintained it by his ongoing obedience. And that's an important argument. So let's keep reading our text. Verse 9 says, For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had. Still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. So what is Paul saying? Well, simply this. God gave Abraham the practice of circumcision not to secure his righteousness, but to serve as a reminder that he was already made righteous. And obedience to God was part of his grateful response for what God had already given him. So why does this matter? Why does Paul spend so much time and effort retelling the story of Abraham? great as his faith was. Well, he tells us why as he brings his example to a close in the final verses of the chapter. Picking up at verse 23, but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. In the same way that Abraham's believing in God was counted to him as righteousness, so too will our believing be when we join with Abraham, with Paul, with Martin Luther, with the Reformers, and we say, yes, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. It's faith. What is faith? The cultivation of an optimistic outlook on life with a kind of spirituality attached to it? A holy hoping for the best? Is this how you think of faith? Authentic faith is the confident assurance of events not yet seen. Abraham was fully convinced that God was able to do everything that he promised. You see, faith is not a blind stab in the dark. It's a reasoned, careful, deliberate, intentional confidence. Confidence in what? God. Abraham understood that faith requires full obedience and not full understanding. 
And like Abraham, even more than Abraham, we should possess that same abiding assurance in God's promises because thanks to Scripture, we know every promise that God has made, he's fulfilled. Because we know that this God we have faith in is inescapably omnipotent, that he's totally sovereign. And because of that, we recognize that we can contribute nothing to our salvation except the sin that made it necessary. Therefore, salvation can only be through faith alone. Please pray with me. Loving Father, we have we've only just begun to plumb the depths of your glorious gospel today. Thank you for encountering us as we've sat under your instruction today. Thank you for revealing to us by your Holy Spirit more of your word and your ways. Thank you that the price of our redemption has been paid in full and thank you that we don't have to do anything to earn a right standing with you except receive the gift of faith that you offer to us and with it believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work in our place. Help us to rest on your promises, to have confidence in your ability and to put our hope in you, the God who saves. We thank you for this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Let's stand together. And in response to what we've heard from the word today, let's thank Jesus that he has made a way for us to be saved and he has given us his righteousness, that his blood has washed away our sins.